Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, undefeated time, Vols undefeated time, Go Vols 24-7 podcast, undefeated time, nah, (laughs) nah time, whatever time of day it is, boys and girls, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast, West Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on a Monday afternoon, enjoying the last days of warmth, probably that this this summer-ish time will provide us. It's nice and 81 degrees here on a Monday afternoon, enjoying that because it looks like it's going to start getting colder soon, and that's uh, what some of y'all like. I do not like. Uh, I'm not sure how our uh, uh, my coworker Patrick Brown feels about the weather, but I'm going to ask him. Pat, generically speaking, how's the weather? I'm ready for this fall weather. It is October in a couple of days after all. Um, I'm not like pumpkin spice everything and all that nonsense, but I do like some fall weather. Yeah, I'm not big on the pumpkin pumpkin spice. I mean, it, it's okay. It's not my thing, but the Oktoberfest, now that's my speed. That's uh, that's my jam. And if we could get, if you're listening, Samuel Adams, Oktoberfest, and you want to sponsor this podcast, you have my full permission. All you have to do is just send me cases of your deliciousness. That's Are all. we allowed... Are we allowed to pander for beer advertisers? I don't see why not. It's a free country, right? Uh, yes, and uh, you, should we? Uh, your intro, you said Tennessee is undefeated. Jeremy Pruitt apparently would argue otherwise. Yeah. Um, it, as he revealed Monday, he says that he views every game that Tennessee has yet to play as a loss so that they're 1-9. They have to go earn that win, which I can't knock the hustle. It's also very much a very like football coach mindset yeah it's also like so debbie downerish that y- you wonder if like ryan callahan was saying it you know i mean it- it's like the kind of hey you're undefeated oh, i don't know i mean really i think maybe we're one and nine <laughs> ryan's not here to speak for himself so i will say yes that is exactly something he would say yeah we can speak for him i mean i've been working with the guy for a decade i feel like i can speak for him at this point i don't see why not guys tennessee you heard our previous podcast. Uh, we did one after the game. We're, we're determined to, to do more post-game uh, pods this year for every game, even though logistically speaking at times that will be a challenge. We're still going to try to make that happen because uh, we feel like people want those things. People have asked for them, and, and I feel like there's a there's a need out there in the marketplace for them. So we're going to do those. Uh, but one of the things about those post-game pods, Pat, and I said this on the, on the, the, the first post-game pod we did this year, was that in that moment, Right after a game, sometimes it's tough to to really analyze things. You know, coaches go out there and they say things like, um, you know, I want to see more film, yada, yada, yada. But now it looks to me like um, I think 
having a day or two to kind of think about things and then come back and talk about the game uh, is ideal because you, you get a chance to watch it again. I don't know about you, Pat, but I've not seen the entire game again. I've seen parts of it again, going over some things. And, and I'm not going to say that it changed my total perception of the game, um, but it did maybe change some things. Yeah, and I think it changed Jeremy Pruitt's uh, thinking in some ways too. The thing he pointed out on Monday was Tennessee's third down efficiency on both sides of the ball is not good enough. And uh, you can look at the numbers and um, and see that I think they were one of 11 on third down. Uh, defensively, South Carolina was 6 of 15, so because he was not getting off the field with uh, the kind of efficiency that, that Derek Pruitt, uh, Derek, Derek Ansley and Jeremy Pruitt want. So I, I think that'll be a point of emphasis moving forward. But um, yeah, I, I haven't, I, like you said, I've got a chance to, uh, between driving back yesterday and uh, just being kind of dead <laughs> on Sunday. Uh, afternoon and evening, and then uh, the coverage today. I've not had a chance to go back and watch it. I plan to tonight. Probably will throw some thoughts up on the checkerboard uh, later. But um, yeah, I, I think again, I it, it was probably a little bit of good and a little bit of bad for everybody. Um, I, don't, I don't know that there was one guy who was perfect the whole game. I don't think that Pruitt would say that. I don't think the players would say that. I mean, you look at a guy like uh, DeAndre Johnson, who's SEC defensive play, uh, defensive lineman of the week six tackles, two and a half sacks, but there were a couple of plays uh, against the run early on where he let guys get outside. Um, yeah, he lost a guy like Jeremy, he, he lost contained too many times. You know, Jeremy Banks was the guy, another guy that, that Purdue talked about on Monday. Uh, had some really nice plays, knifed in the backfield for attack for loss, had two plays on a, on a tunnel screen that he read really well, stopped those for no game. Then he has two penalties in the second half that uh, Purdue said that that's not acceptable, can't happen. So, uh, Jarek Antonio, he's been inconsistent his whole career and um, I don't think he was bad as some of his detractors want to argue he was, um, but he's going to have to play better if Tennessee's going to beat some of the teams on, on their schedule moving forward. So, uh, and I think, I think Pruitt thought their running backs could have been a little bit better too. Ty Chandler and Eric Gray, I thought Chandler had a really nice game. Uh, I thought Gray could have been a little bit better. I predicted that third and one he didn't pick up, but yeah. at the same time he had two guys right there in the hole to meet him. So maybe that was a breakdown on offense. So um, yeah, there's a lot of little things you can, you can point out and see and, um, that's what Tennessee that's kind of their thing after night games is is they come right back to practice the next day they practice on Sunday kind of walk through correct a lot of things um, before kind of shifting their attention they're they're off on Monday just I think just walk through just meetings um, and then Tuesday they'll, they'll turn their attention to uh, to Missouri but uh, certainly a lot of things I think I think if you're Tennessee first of all you're you're glad you won because you were you were you had legitimate concerns that you might not be ready enough to play and win an SEC game on the road uh, but at the same time, you will look at this game and see plenty of areas where you can improve and, and fix mistakes. Yeah, I think uh, a, a lot of guys, when I was rewatching parts of the game, played about like I thought they did. Um, you know, with Garantano, it's kind of easy to see some things in in, in live action. It, it looked like, you know, he just he there were some throws that he just frankly should have made and did not make. Uh, but there were also a couple of throws that he put right where they needed to be, you know. Um, but then there's frustration. Like he had Keaton for a big play. If he'd hit him twice, Keaton actually was open for big plays. And, you know, one time Garantana was rushed, so I get that. But the other time he, he wasn't rushed. He just he – just, it was just a bad ball. You know, he was off by a couple feet on it. Uh, and that was the difference in a chunk play and nothing. So those those are things that, that you would like to see a quarterback, especially a fifth-year senior, make. He didn't make them, but no one's perfect. Sometimes taking shots downfield, you're going to miss. It happens. One guy that I definitely mentioned uh, maybe once or twice in the postgame pod, but definitely, in my opinion, on reflection, did not mention enough, was Elante Taylor. Uh, I thought he 
did a whole lot of little things that were really, really, really important. If you watch, uh, go, go back and watch uh, Henry Toto's pick six, and you see that when Toto catches the ball, I don't even think Taylor's in the frame. I think he's so he's far behind him a good few yeah, yards. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's if he's in the frame, he's barely there at all. He very quickly uses that speed we all know he has, and he gets in front of Toto, and he just cleared an absolute path. I mean, Toto at the beginning uh, had to do the work himself. He had to dust off Shy Smith not once but twice, and he did that. And then he got himself toward the sideline, did a great job on his footwork. But he does not score uh, if Alante Taylor is not there just plowing people in front of him. I mean, that looked like a, a cornerback playing fullback about as well as I've seen. That that he, was he, fantastic. He got a good, clean hit on the quarterback. I think it was Colin Hill he decked. Um, and a lot of times if you hit the quarterbacks after interceptions, you get penalized for it. Uh, but that was, you know, because that was a play to clear the way. Uh, and for Alante's trouble, he got clothesline right at the goal line by an offensive lineman. Yes, yes, he um, did. But he, he had a nice play. I think that that was a nice effort. I do remember his big play was right after they had the punt issue uh, in mm-hmm. South Carolina at great starting field position. I think it was second down, might have been first down, but Alante uh, pretty much blew up the blocker and made the play on, I think it was Smith, on like a jet sweep end around. Uh, that was an important play because it got South Carolina behind the sticks. And if this defense, I think, can get teams behind the stick, behind the sticks, get them in the third and long, second and long, I think that obviously plays to their strengths of what Pruitt and Ansley want to do. Um, so, yeah, and, and he had a couple of good coverages, a couple of good coverage instances too. So, um, yeah, he, he was the guy that now that you mentioned him, it's like, okay, yeah, he, he had some, some really nice plays. Yeah, and I think we mentioned a moment ago that DeAndre Johnson a couple times – um, and I think I saw maybe Kevon Bennett do it once or twice. Did not set the edge, and and uh, people who have have followed us for years and you know have read my writing, I know they get tired of hearing me talk about setting the edge. But it is very literally the first thing a defense has to do on a play. If you do not set contain, you do not uh, set the edge, then you are you are going to have trouble stopping a run most of the time. And a couple of times Tennessee didn't do that, but but one guy who did it pretty consistently well when given a chance, I think, was Taylor. Uh, he, you could see why in that game. You could see why uh, against Kentucky last season Taylor started uh, because of what Kentucky was doing and the way that Taylor is physical and the way he tackles at the cornerback spot is very, 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 very good. And I think he's a guy who they had a lot of question marks in the secondary, a lot of guys flipping back and forth, doing different things. Bryce Thompson playing safety, Danico Slaughter sliding into the the star spot because uh, Schamberger wasn't there. We'll have more on him and some other guys later. Um, but you had guys playing different spots, Theo Jackson and Tank McCullough coming in and getting some of the reps they could get done, uh, even though especially McCullough was not at, you know, didn't have his full football conditioning. They had to do a lot of different things there on the back end. Uh, but Alante Taylor, I thought, played a really, really good football game. Uh, and he's a guy who I think we've all kind of wondered when the light bulb would come on for him. And if that light bulb comes on for him now, that helps Tennessee's defense a lot. Because you know when they put Bryce Thompson back in corner, you know what you're getting there, right? You know what you're getting. If you know that either Taylor or George is going to give you great play at the other corner spot, you're in really, really good shape, I think, on the back end. Yeah, and late in that game, they went. I think they established a little bit more order in the secondary with, with flipping uh, Bryce Thompson back to cornerback. I think when you uh, that may have been their best five that were available and ready to play, um, but it obviously was not their first choice lineup in the secondary. You know, so um, they kind of upset the natural order because because Bryce Thompson he's 
he's better as a cornerback than as a safety. Um, and they, they put him back there. Pruitt said Monday because he knows the defense and um, he was kind of, they were just trying to make the best of the situation they could. Um, and, and he probably makes more sense as a safety. He's played some of them in the money before, which is those star money positions are similar to the safeties. A lot of those yeah. guys work with the safeties in practice. Um, so that, that's why they slid him back there. Cause he, you know, they like Kenneth George. Uh, they, you know, they you compare him with Taylor at corner and, and, and be okay. Uh, and then slaughter was the guy that they, uh, had, you know, he, he's been working at the star. He, he couldn't have slid back at safety at this point of his career. And it got to the point where they even work in Theo Jackson at star and Prude even said Monday that that's not his position, but that's kind of where we were. And, um, and, and McCullough got in late and he definitely looked rusty. I thought. Uh, yeah, a couple of plays where he missed uh, kind of, I don't want to say he missed tackles, but maybe misjudged a little bit. And that's just from not practicing, not getting a lot of live reps. But uh, flipping back to the outside linebackers, I think a, a guy that was a standout and we saw, I think was a standout live was Tyler Barron. Um, and I think he's going to continue to play a lot because it seemed like as the game went on, he got a lot of work on the early downs. Um, mm-hmm. And he might be a better run stopper, run defender than uh, some of those other guys that are probably more pass rush guys. Um, you know, we've seen the speed that, uh, that Kavon Bennett and uh, Downtown Johnson have off the edge. They showed that quite a bit on Saturday night. But uh, I think Barron is probably – it's probably pretty advanced for the stage of his career, his ability to kind of get off blocks. Um, and he, he's kind of – he's not the biggest guy, uh, but he's got some pretty good power for for being a freshman. I think you saw that a couple times. Yeah, he could, um, he could almost be a three-tech if they played a 4-3, I think, yeah. with his power. And, and he was um, – I'm trying to remember – I talked to him in May right before he enrolled, and he was up – I think he said he played at 260 – um, last uh, as a senior at Catholic, and um, I mean, Derek Hansley was talking about him after signing day back in February, saying that you know Joseph Morgan Joseph's the explosive guy off the edge. Baron is a little bit more powerful, and, and you could see um, some of that when, when he made some nice plays against the run, and and that was something that Daryl Taylor did really well. I thought everybody, you mm-hmm. know, everybody paid attention to what what Taylor did as a rusher, um, uh, you know, getting sacks, sixteen and a half sacks over the past season, but he was really stout as a run defender. He was really strong. Uh, could hold up at the point of attack. And uh, that was something that was quietly something I wondered what Tennessee would, would get in that department um, without him. So it uh, looks like Barron might be a guy and, and, you know, Tennessee's coaches said, and we had heard that they were going to play a few guys outside linebacker. I think they played all five of them and uh, all five of them had their impact on the game. And I thought Barron was a guy that uh, even live was like, okay, this guy, this guy's pretty good for <laughs> playing his first game. I'm not ready to say because he's wearing number nine and playing defensive end, he's the next Derek Barnett. Let's <laughs> yeah. not go that far. He puts some pressure on um, himself with that jersey selection. <laughs> yeah, but he looks like a player who's going to help and uh, had a really nice start to his career uh, the other night. And, and I think one more guy before we go to break here um, that I, I think we, we need to discuss because he, watching him is always a grab bag, and you probably know who I'm talking about now, and that's Jeremy Banks uh, there at inside linebacker. And when you look at the balance of things overall, uh, I think you could make a pretty good argument that Banks was a much more effective inside linebacker than uh, Quivaris Crouch was in that game. Now, it's a, it's a new position for Crouch. Maybe he needs a little more time. He's certainly got a ton of physical ability. Um, but, you know, I the way he looked at times, I thought, man, that's kind of an, an outside linebacker playing on the, in, on the inside. It doesn't look – he doesn't look comfortable yet. Banks, on the other hand, when he's out there, looks comfortable. He knows what he's doing. He knows where he's going, uh, and he can arrive in, in in really bad humor. He can he can pop you when he gets there. Uh, the, and he, he looks surprisingly good in pass coverage too. I thought. Um, but the one thing that Banks just has to figure out, he has got to stop play at the whistle. And I'm not going to sit here and malign the kid. I'm not going to sit here and say that 
that he was, you know, doing awful, awful things. There are degrees on fouls like that. Uh, what he did was certainly both of them were certainly flag worthy, uh, but they weren't what I would call exceptionally dirty play. They were just trying to get a little shot after the whistle, and he got caught. And he's got a rep as a guy who will do that, and so officials are going to be looking out for those things. But if he can just hone it down just a little bit, if he can stop that Tasmanian Devil stuff at the whistle, he's a good player at inside linebacker. You can see why Pruitt's so high on him, I think. Yeah, and Pruitt had good things to say about both Banks and Crouch on Monday. Uh, And we have to remember that Banks, this was his first football game in, what, 10 months? Almost a year, actually, since he got... Uh, dismissed and for Crouch, he was an outside linebacker last year. He played one, he has like one game of uh, of tape under his belt as an inside linebacker, and that was at Alabama, um, where he got kind of thrown into a really tough situation. But, um, a couple things on Banks. Uh, first of all, to me, there are degrees of late hits. Yeah. There, there's like the hustle play where you kind of just can't stop your momentum. And then there's like what Sean Schamberger did against Missouri last year, where uh, Kelly Bryant had sort of led up and Schamberger just gave him a little shoulder out of balance and Pruitt nearly just like decapitated him right there on the sideline. Yeah, line. that was that, um, that he, he Pruitt could have been given a 15 yard personal foul himself that, on that. That was a that was a boneheaded play. I can if you're a coach, you cannot tolerate those. For hustle plays where you're just trying to make a play and the guy gets a foot out of bounds and you hit him, that's that's one that you don't want, but you could probably live with it. Um and the other thing about the helmet situation, the face mask. I don't know if uh, you might have to have been there to see it, but it was really weird because it happened. Uh, and I don't know, again, I don't know what you guys saw on television uh, at home, but I think they showed the play happen. Teams are lining back up for the next play. They show the, they show the replay on the big board at Williamsburg Stadium, and they show the helmet rolling around. And then the referee threw his flag. It was the back judge who was looking dead on at the, at the video board. It was a really odd situation. I don't know if the announcers were there. Um, some of those guys, I think, have been calling games from from their homes um, in some situations. I think but, they were there, but I'm not positive. So, it, yeah, actually, you know what? They were there because I saw John Stinchcomb uh, who called the game. So um, now that I think about it, but it was really odd because it was like the play happened. He ripped the guy's helmet off. They show the they showed on the video board, and then the referee. I mean, there were a few of us in the press box were like, wait, did he just throw a flag based on a replay he saw on video board? Man. Because the it, crowd was booing. If, if that's the case, <laughs> I mean, that I, 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 you're just absolutely not supposed to do that. I mean, there's, there's instant, <laughs> no, there's, there's, there's instant really replay. You, you can go to the monitor to check on personal foul stuff if you want to. You're allowed to go do that, I think. Well, but. I thought that's what he threw his flag for was he like, I don't know, maybe he's the guy. I don't, is he the guy that gets buzzed? I thought it was the referee. There's one official who's supposed to get buzzed by the replay. Uh, I, I, think, I, I think it's the might. referee, I think. But but I mean, they, what, what surprised me, Pat, was that you could tell the announcers, too, had no idea that penalty was coming until yeah, they until it, they, they were kind of like, oh, wait, hold on. Maybe that's why this happened. I mean, they were kind of surprised as well. Yeah, and, and you know, the, the stadium sees – I don't know if you even saw it. I think you saw, like, the it's, like, at the very top of the board, but you see the helmet rolling, uh, and the fans start booing, and – um, I mean, I'm not saying it was a wrong call. They, the route they took to get there might have been a little fishy, <laughs> um, put it that way. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's something that if you're Jeremy Banks, you can't do that. And I think Pruitt will tell him that. And um, that's, as you mentioned, that's just kind of the way he is. He's kind of an edgy player. He's kind of a little bit like Jawan Jennings, who will mix it up after the whistle, isn't afraid. Um, 
but that game was there were there were some chippy moments throughout that game. Alante Taylor was another guy that was doing a lot of jawing. Um, South Carolina's players were doing a lot of jawing too after Derek Garantano scored on the quarterback sneak. He was yeah. The announcers noted that throughout the game how he, how surprisingly chippy it was. And I said when you've played as many close games as these teams have played over the years, you're going to get some chippiness. And, and you've had as you're of these players, you you've been, it's been a tough off season for you. You were kind of ready to release some of that testosterone on someone else. So. Uh, even after Garantano scored on the sneak, he, he gets up and kind of does a little celebration. J.C. Horn, who was committed to Tennessee, kind of got up in his face a little bit. You can see that on some of the, uh, uh, the film that the SEC sent out in its little media portal. portal, portal. Um, portal, 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 portal. Something you don't notice during the game. You see, it was, it was just kind of a chippy game, but uh, if you're Banks, you can't, you can't do that. Uh, we talked a lot about defense. There's one guy we should point out on offense. That's Brandon Johnson. Good to see him back. Um, that was a great play he made. Yes, it was. Um, uh, on the third down, the one-handed catch, and and I, Pruitt sounds like Pruitt loves the guy. Um, he sounds like he's Pruitt's kind of player because he just shows up, goes to work. You know what you're going to get from him. Team guy, teams. very much a team guy. Yeah. So, um, and it'll be interesting to see how this wide receiver position uh, evolves because uh, since he sounds pretty intent on getting some of those freshmen more involved, um, a lot of those guys, I think Callaway, Holiday, Wideman, I think they all miss various links of practice with. Uh, quarantine stuff so as those guys get more practice time and more chances to work with Jared Garantano I think you might see those guys more involved and and that could give even more dimensions to the Tennessee office than there already are yeah I'll be honest I, I, I've been uh, I've been a guy who, who's probably been higher than most on Brandon Johnson but I even I didn't know he was, but even I did not know that he was going to have that in his bag I mean I, I've seen him in practice make a couple plays that are almost kind of similar to that but when when live bullets are flying in the game and, and to, to have the wherewithal uh, the the concentration, the body balance to make a catch like that. Okay, now now that gives you a lot more options in the red zone because you don't just have to th- think, well, if I go to Palmer, he'll make a play on the ball. Now you know that you've seen what Brandon Johnson can go do as well, and he's not a small guy. He's about six two. I mean, he can go, he he's not a, quite as explosive as Palmer, but but he's a good athlete. He's smooth. He'll go up there. He'll jump. He'll get the ball. And and if he's going to be a leader like that and make those kind of plays, then that that gives you that that should make Garantano feel a little bit more comfortable going into games, I, I would imagine. So uh, there's plenty to discuss for, from that game, plenty of good things, plenty of bad things. Uh, but at some point, we, we got to quit talking about it. We got to move forward. Uh, and we're going to take a quick break, going to pay some bills, all those other fun things, come back and discuss a little bit more about this week, some news going into this week, t- what Tennessee needs to do going forward to, to face Mizzou on Saturday, and uh, a few other things. So, Hang with us, guys. We will be right back. Hashtag ad. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
Welcome back to the Go Balls 24-7 podcast, brought to you by whatever products and services and in-house ads you just heard a moment ago during that commercial break. Wes Rucker coming to you here from Fort Rucker Studio here on a Monday afternoon, a nice warm Monday late after late summer afternoon. Uh, joined by Patrick Brown from an undisclosed location in an undisclosed part of the 865 area code. Pat, I, I know that it's tough looking when you look forward. And before we touch on Missouri and Georgia and a few other things, I'm going to get to this quickly. Please go in there and rate and review this podcast, guys. Please go in there and wherever you're listening to us, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn, wherever you can cast a fine pod, you will find our podcast. Please go in there. We're happy to do this for free. We're only asking for one thing. Please go in there and rate and review this podcast. Uh, if we do some merch giveaways later, we might do them through that. We might, t- if there's things you want to hear us discuss on this show, uh, different ideas that you have, uh, drop those in, in the review section too. We're, we're not above, you know, constructive criticism. If we're gonna, if we're gonna dish it out, we better be able to take it, right? Or we'd be hypocrites. So if you got something that you want to say to us, you feel free to go say it there. Uh, please go do that. Uh, please rate and review. And if you got some friends around the office, um, some friends from back home, uh, some friends in your your water cooler circle, back when we could have things like water coolers, uh, when the world was a normal place, uh, just go go spread spread it word of mouth. Please go do that. That would help us a lot. Pat, when you talk about Mizzou, I, I think it's it's tough because you know you're Mizzou opened the season with Alabama. And being at home on Saturday to cover a game for me was very weird. Uh, first time in like nearly, uh, nearly or more than two decades, sometime around two decades basically since I'd done that. Uh, but the one thing that gave me an opportunity to do uh, that I don't often get except for on a Tennessee off week uh, was to watch a lot of SEC games in full. You know, normally we're, we're traveling to and from the stadium. We're in press boxes. We're trying to um, get a bunch of work done. And Tennessee playing such a late game, I think it kicked off almost like 745, uh, allowed me time to watch, you know, the noon games, the 330 games, even got to watch some of Bama in in the background while the Tennessee game was happening. What I saw from the SEC on Saturday was one team that looked really, really, really damn good, and that was Alabama. And then a whole bunch of teams that looked kind of, I'm not sure what they are, and and then a few bad teams. And I I think we all know that Mizzou – like Arkansas is one of those teams that's that's kind of projected to be toward the bottom of the league, new coach, tough schedule, brutal schedule, really. Um, but with Mizzou's first game uh, under Eli Drinkwitz being against Alabama, that it's hard to make too much of that game because they're playing Alabama and we don't know exactly what they would look like against a normal team. Is that fair to say or is that putting Bama on too high a pedestal? No, I think that's fair to say. I think that's the Alabama caveat where you can't judge every team. You, you can't judge a team based on what they, they did against Alabama. Um, that, and Missouri, that's a, a game where they're going to be overmatched quite a bit um, against that juggernaut, as most teams are. Um, but I actually randomly caught, like, some of the second half while I was working on some stuff last night. You know, we're all, you know, accustomed to just throwing something on television while we do some work. Sure. Um, and so you kind of have something that you, you want to have on in the background, but you don't want to watch it. So you kind of, that was the situation for me on Sunday night. And so I saw like the second half. And so, uh, and it was odd to me because Missouri final minutes of the game, it's what 38, 13. Yeah. Uh, Eli Drinkwitz is their new coach. Um, 
did probably the fastest I've ever seen a coach run down the sideline to call timeout. He did this like eight seconds left and Missouri was at like 10. Like he's, that was a moment where he's trying to, to like build his program. That's where Missouri is for me. They're still very much like, okay, we don't know what they are. Uh, and I'm sure it'll be different for Tennessee's coaching staff because they go from playing South Carolina who, you know, they, you know, Jeremy Pruitt and these guys have coached against Will Muschamp, Mike Bobo. They've, you know, they know those guys from, from going against them. They, mm-hmm. they don't, they're not going to really have much of a background uh, on Drinkwitz and Missouri, at least from an offensive standpoint, because Drinkwitz is, you know, they'll probably, you know, we're going looking back at NC state tape, Boise state tape, all those things that he, you know, other places he coached uh, defensively, they kept some of the staff intact there. So they're probably not doing anything different defensively, um, which could play into Tennessee's hands. But um this is I, I, this is a Missouri team that's going to be they're going to play hard. I think they're going to have nothing to lose. I think that's going to be their attitude. But um, if you're Tennessee, you have better players and, and you should go out and take care of business. But um, they're going to have to they're going to have to show some improvement and play better in some areas than they did uh, the other night, or it could get a little bit hairy for them. Yeah, if I'm a coach or player uh, at Missouri, I, I go into this week with a pretty decent attitude actually because you've just played Alabama. And you've just kind of been exposed. Which means you don't have to play them again. Yeah, and, and, and beyond that, you're 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 going into a game now against a team that's ranked, I believe, twentieth nationally, twenty first in the other poll. I think I think that's right. Uh, but this is a team that, when you watch on film, you're going to see. You know what? This is definitely not Alabama in terms of talent. I mean, they've got some guys. Uh, they got some dudes that are going to hurt you. Uh, they have better players than we do, but they're not at that kind of Bama level right now. So, but they're ranked. You're going to their house when it's only about a quarter full, a noon game. Hey, that's an opportunity for Missouri. You can go out there and you can make a statement. You're trying to build a program. If you go out there and lose by 30 points or whatever, no one's going to be like, nah, well, I mean, that happens. Um, but if you go out there and you play a good game and you go out there and play them close or even go you know, shock them and beat them, that's a huge opportunity for your program. And you do have nothing to lose in this game. And an opponent with nothing to lose is pretty dangerous. And if you're Tennessee, you're playing Georgia next week, going to, to Athens. Uh, that game's going to kick off at either noon or 3.30. We hadn't been determined yet. But it, you, you wonder – if you're Missouri, you're thinking, you know what, we can go in there and sneak up on them. And I think if you're Missouri, I think that's probably got to excite you, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's where you guys program is that every every game you get, you're probably not going to be favored by, by very much. Um, so you got to go out there and, and try to make the most of it. And, and it'll be an opportunity game, and it'll be a chance for, uh, for Drinkwitz to continue building his program. I can't imagine how tough it would be uh, for a first-year coach in this particular set of circumstances – um, this, this off season, you have no spring pretty much. You have no chance. And, and those, a lot of coaches will tell you that's, that's an important, this first year is an important time to kind of put in place what you want to put in place. Um, and, Missouri, and Missouri's not had a chance to do that. So um, they're playing catch up in that regard. Um, they have a quarterback in, in Sean Robinson, who was a transfer at TCU, had a decent game against Alabama. Um, but uh, I think if you're Tennessee, it's, it's a situation where you're favored by 10 points. Um, you're, you're coming off a game where you had to grind it out. You can't look ahead to that Georgia game, as you mentioned, Wes. Uh, that's obviously going to be a big opportunity game for Tennessee. Um, so you can't you can't let your guard down. And Tennessee is not at a point where it can just kind of show up and beat teams, um, even even though the Pruitt, I think, and the staff have done a really good job uh, of trying to um, build this roster uh, and, and have improved it. And they've built a culture and a program where – uh, it's almost to the point now where Tennessee just they think they expect to win, which hasn't always been the case for them. So 
Um, I'm sure we'll get into the matchups more individually about what uh, what to expect from the Tigers, but they're probably a difficult team to kind of understand because there's still so many unknowns because they have a new coach, um, some new players, uh, and there's just really one game of, of tape against a team that you know was is going to win a lot of games by a lot of points for most of the season. So uh, it'll be a, it'll be a challenge for Tennessee, and uh, they have to go out there and take care of business. Yeah, and, and I think that, that this is a game where Tennessee should be able to take care of business, but you, you cannot assume anything uh, about the Vols at this point. Uh, there's a lot of things that, that need to improve. And, and what I'm wondering, Pat, is, is you know, some of those special teams issues that Tennessee had, they seem to get a little bit better at times during the game. I mean, I know that Samaglia pushed that kick to the left, and if he kicked it straight, it, on, on film it looked like. I think Pruitt's right. I think there's a good chance it's blocked. And, and there was a couple times on kicks where they gave up way too much pressure before those kicks got off. And so there's a, a lot of things. They did a couple of good things in the return game, but there are a lot of things on special teams they need to fix. And Pruitt had a really interesting quote, I think, about that on Monday when, when he said, uh, and, and by that I mean just a couple hours ago, when, when, when he said that, it's not just the fact that some of the for the first couple of weeks that, that most of the specialists were in quarantine or or attested or positive or whatever and, and they weren't available. Uh, that's one thing. But even when those kickers came back, Tennessee went through a while there where anywhere from like thirty to fifty percent of the roster was not available to practice. And when that's the case, there is no way you can do special teams work because you've got to get twenty two guys out there from a bunch of different positions in order to have specialists training. And they're, they're not able to do that cohesively because they don't have the guys out there to go do that. So when you combine those two factors, you see why Pruitt was so terrified about special teams going into the, to the game. I'm not worried about Tennessee special teams as a whole. I think they'll get where they need to be uh, if they can knock on wood. And this is me knocking on wood. If they can do that and, and keep guys out of protocol and all those other things. I think they'll get better there because they have the pieces to, and they're good there usually. Uh, But I think you can watch on film and you can see why, hey, uh, I see why he was worried about that. But I think you can also say it's probably going to get better going forward. Yeah, for sure. And and I thought Tennessee did a decent job in the return game. They got two nice returns. Um, Eric Gray was uh, was the punt returner. Uh, And I thought he did a good job of of coming up and fielding the ball. I think Marquez Calloway sometimes last season would let the ball roll too much, and that cost Tennessee some hidden yardage and field position. Um, but he did a nice job coming up. He looked assured catching the ball, uh, had a nice return. There was um, – I think there was one punt where Gray caught, called for a fair catch but had a lot of room where he probably should run. But I think in that situation, Tennessee's defense was still on the field. They were in a punt safe, so maybe they, you know, they didn't really have a return set up. Um, so that might have been a predetermined deal. But uh, Bayless Jones, um, you know, T. Martin told us going into the preseason that, that – or back in the preseason that they were going to get him involved. Uh, on offense and you saw that you know they give him that little pop pass where he's coming across the formation Um, but he did you know he did what he does best and had a couple of nice returns I think one was a 46 yarder or maybe it was a 40 yard I can't can't remember which one it was a nice return where he looked like a guy that's that's returned a lot of kicks it was about 40 yards yeah yeah it looked like he you know it it looked like a guy who returned a lot of kicks and has done um done that for a lot of his career and done it well so uh, I, I think again, like you pointed out, Tennessee, the fact that Tennessee, you know, they had a they had a couple couple of mistakes on on special teams. You know, Brent Smagley missed a field goal. Um, obviously, the snapping situation with Will Albright to start the game wasn't great. Uh, and uh, but I think going into that game, if you would have told Tennessee staff that okay, they won't nothing will happen on special teams that will cost you this game, I think they would have taken that 
regardless of anything else. I think they would have said, okay, as long as as long as something on special teams doesn't happen that, that loses this game, we'll be okay. We'll go from there. And I think that's kind of where they are on special teams. And I think uh, also in, in terms of health overall, uh, Pruitt did not come out and confirm that Schamberger and Middleton missed because of uh, COVID issues or, or whatever, but he, he said it was not discipline-related, and you can put two and two together on that. Uh, he said when he answered that question, he said, I don't think it's fair to talk about guys who are – you know, in the, in the protocol or whatever for the COVID stuff. So that that's him saying, Hey, I can't tell you what it is, but here's what it is. Uh, so there, and there were a bunch of guys, I think more so than the guys who missed the game because of COVID, you saw the results of Tennessee having a bunch of guys who missed a bunch of camp because of COVID. So I think those guys should get better. There's hope that they can get guys like um, Middleton and uh, Schamberger, especially back this week. They're, they're really hoping to do that, and then you get them up to speed as quickly as you can, and then you go out there and play. Uh, you hope guys you know, like McCullough uh, get some more, get their sea legs back a little bit. Uh, the one big injury note for this week, and we know it's out there. Uh, we saw it with our own eyes. We know what's going on. Uh, Trey Smith dinged his shoulder in that game. To what degree he did, I don't know. I don't know if it's uh, if you would call it some sort of a sprain or a tear or whatever it is, what I do know is that he has an injured shoulder and they are planning to keep him on the field and that it would take probably an act of God to keep Trey Smith off the field for this team. He, he might have to lose his arm, literally, yes. to not play. Um, and, and and all that all that I need to know is regardless of what he did with the shoulder medically, he didn't miss a snap the other night. So um, he, he's obviously – plenty of toughness and has been through quite a bit in his life. So I don't, I don't know that uh, any sort of shoulder injury is going to maybe keep him from playing. He's, he's got so much uh, that he wants to do this season that like I said, it it literally might take him (laughs) losing an arm to, uh, to not play. But uh, the, the rumor with Schamberger is that it's a two game deal and it's a violation of team rules kind of situation. But uh, as we've talked on this podcast before, Wes, in this situation, you can probably just be like, uh, it's COVID, but we're not saying it's COVID. You know what I mean? So you can kind of, yeah, uh, kind of disguise it. Uh, Middleton did tweet. Um, he tweeted that he wasn't going to be playing on Saturday night on Saturday before the game. Um, he tweeted then and on Sunday that he was, he was back. So, uh, how much they can get out of him? I don't know. I think he's missed quite a bit of practice. Uh, Aubrey Solomon's a guy that missed a lot of practice too. Didn't play a whole lot of snaps on Saturday night, but did play, um, so it's just it's just a matter of for Middleton and, and, and plenty of other guys like McCullough, Jackson, Warren Burrell is another guy um, that they just since he's going to have to find a way to get those guys a little bit up to speed, and that's just going to come with practice and just going to come with time. That is it is interesting because because Pruitt did say that it was not player you know discipline or anything like that for for Schamberger. So I, I I don't know we'll we'll see what's going on moving forward there, but the hope is to get all those guys back, and you know you can tell. Uh, What's weird to me is that you normally go into a season and you say the most improvement that you have is from your first game to your second. Uh, And and I don't know that that's going to be the case for Tennessee this season. I think you'll definitely see some improvement from week one to week two. But I think it's almost like in some ways it's like the third game will be the second game this season because the first two weeks are both kind of like their own season. I mean, you you know, their own camp, extension of camp. Pruitt said that they were treating the first two weeks almost as an extension of of training camp because they just did not have as much as they normally would have. So because of that, you can see why they're in that position and you can see why – you can see the result of that. And you can see that they're out there saying, okay, 
get some guys their sea legs, get some guys back to some shape, and, and then maybe start, you know, really, really moving forward. So I think it could be like the first, you know, maybe the third game or so where you would see some of that improvement. Does that make any sense? Feel free. I know that, that if you disagree, you'll tell me, but does that sound crazy? Well, I was criticized the last time I disagreed with you on a podcast. Well, uh, I thought it was hilarious. A couple of weeks ago, but uh, I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with you. I just think this season almost every week is going to be kind of its own little deal because you never know. I mean, they're testing for, for COVID three times a week. Uh, I think they're testing the final one for Thursday because I think they're trying to keep those results. Uh, they'd rather those, those results be right uh, than fast. Yeah, the Friday, um, an, the Friday ant, uh, antigen mm-hmm. tests were having too many false positives. Yeah, and we saw that that, that cost Georgia State and Charlotte a game uh, this weekend where didn't they announced it was canceled like on, on Saturday. I mean mm-hmm. – and so you, you know, I think the SEC is smart to to go with more reliable testing than maybe faster testing, but doing it close to, you know, close enough to the game where you can get results within <clears throat> a certain number of hours uh, that you need to to ensure that the safety of everybody. But I mean, who knows? You you know, as a coaching staff, you may start prepping one plan Monday and Tuesday, and then your team tests Wednesday, and you got find out that you're not going to be without player a b and c and you got to adjust on the fly and we saw it with with tennessee secondary um you know they they came out with sort of a as we talked about earlier it was sort of a weird lineup but it was kind of you know they they tried to make take the situation that they had and uh make the best of it so um and and there's going to be a lot of that as we've talked about throughout the season so um but uh, i think this was you know it was a good first step i think if you're tennessee you're glad you got to win uh, but this coaching staff, I'm sure, is probably glad too that they found a lot of areas where, um, you know, they can improve and a lot of mistakes that they need to fix, and and that they're confident that uh, the makeup of the team they have and the quality of coaching that they have that they can do those, put together good game plans, um, and and kind of keep building from from there. But I do think in this of of all seasons, kind of what you do from game to game, you're kind of going to be building week week to week, which is kind of like you said. So, um, and that's going to be the case for Tennessee and really for everybody. Yeah, and I don't think there was anything else that we really needed to mention. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, was there anything else that, that that Pruitt said on Monday, Pat, that you think we need to – that we have not discussed? Uh, I liked his line about Paxton Brooks. Um, he pointed out that Brooks has put on something like 40 pounds, and uh, and he would he joked that he would have liked to have seen Brooks uh, run over some guys to pick up the first down when that punt was ground rounded back to him, which I thought was pretty funny. He, in a normal press conference, that would have been a – I think there would have been a lot of laughing, but – because we're all on Zoom, and if we're not asking a question, you're on mute. And not everybody has their video on. Pruitt did get to feel the uh, the effects of his of his humor. Yeah, I, I sent him a message that said I actually thought it was funny. So, you know, I tried to be like, hey, "Come on, guy, it's different. You got to give us a chance here." But yeah, I thought I thought that was a pretty good one. Um, and, and I think that that Brooks made a couple of nice punts in that game too. You know, he 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 came back, and I, I think. Uh, there was some discussion, at least I had it at first. I was like, was that definitely a rugby punt? And then you helped answer that because you were there and had the view of it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that it's kind of a stroke of luck that they got at the end of the game. But still, that was a <laughs> – I mean, he did a nice job. He had a couple of punts that, that really backed him up and really flipped the field. So, yeah, he, punter, he you, one that, punter, you was back. He had one that flipped the field really well there in the fourth quarter. I think it was a 51-yarder. Um, he had one that went for a touchback that doesn't help the net because you lose 20 yards. Um, but I think I think his other ones are all fair catches. So, um, and, and that ball should not have been a touchback. And, and, if Tennessee had better awareness on special teams, that ball would have been pinned inside the five. And, and and all five, you know, other than the touchback, the other five are all inside the twenty. So he did a good job. You know, Tennessee didn't take advantage of some uh, of some good field position they had, but they were able to execute the sky punt, pin South Carolina back, and 
uh, keep him back there. They did get one break when when Carolina Fair caught the ball at the four, which is not not normally what you want to do. Um, but I think on the other hand, they got the bad luck when when he hit that ball that really. I think one of the a couple of the gunners just didn't notice the ball in time or didn't see the spin on it right. Uh, but that ball should have been pinned inside the five. They just wasn't missed there. The a, wasn't there. there a game where uh, was it Texas A and M where their guy caught a punt in the end zone and fumbled? Uh, yes, I believe that is the case. I believe that someone tell me that yes. I didn't see. Yes, it, but. yes. I mean, not a lot of people. I think there were like twelve people who saw the A and M Vanderbilt game. But uh, yeah, that that was a was a wild game that that had that point in it. Yeah, it was. It, it's it's a weird year, right? I mean, if you were ever going to have a year where you catch a punt in the end zone, you're like, oh, I bet 2020 would be the year that that would happen. <laughs> yeah, it just seems that way. I think we got it about covered, Pat. We're gonna we're gonna have a couple more podcasts, at least one more before the game. So we'll uh, we'll be squared away. But uh, until then, man, thanks for your time. Yeah, no problem, Wes. Guys, I just thank Pat, and what I need to do now is thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Patrick Brown's P. Brown 24-7 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. And Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey on Twitter. Uh, you can also, if you just want Tennessee news, nothing else, you can get that uh, at twitter.com slash govals 24-7. You can also go to facebook.com slash govals 24-7 where we have a ton of news, mostly Tennessee, but also some other things throughout the day there on the Facebook page. Tons of stuff there. Tons of people on there every day. Uh, But most importantly, if you want that delicious East Tennessee Mountain Spring Water just right from the tap, you can go get that at GoVols247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internet to discuss Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, baseball, Lady Vols coverage, where Maria Cornelius does an excellent job covering all things Lady Vols for us. And also, shout out Maria for uh, helping uh, form one of those organizations to bring uh, the Tennessee Smokies back to downtown Knoxville, where they belong. Shout out to her for that. You're doing great work there. We appreciate it. Uh, And build that stadium where I could walk to it from my house here. That would be awesome. Selfishly, I would love that. Uh, or uh, if you just want to, uh, if you just want to, just just want Tennessee news, that's it. You can still go to GoVols247.com and you can get that there. And if you pay us a full subscription, which is still cheaper than one mediocre lunch per month, one mediocre lunch per month will get you access to our site and in perpetuity will give you access to CBS All Access, which is CBS' streaming platform where you can find uh, live sports, you can find NFL football, college football, SEC football, Tennessee football, you can find college basketball, Tennessee basketball, NCAA tournament you can get on there, uh, and, and also everything that CBS has ever made, every show, commercial-free, tons of new movies in and out every month, tons of good stuff there, tons of old classics, old hidden gems you can find in there. I found some really good ones recently. You can also go, uh, you can get Nickelodeon for the kids there, uh, uh, you got Comedy Central there uh, for the adults. You've got uh, BET and MTV also. And you got Smithsonian Channel also for the kids. So all kinds of awesome stuff there uh, that we'll give you for free. That is a $100 annual value that as long as you're a full-paying member with us, you get access to that for free. So go take advantage of that. And if nothing else, guys, you should probably hear from us in, I'm guessing, oh, a couple days, unless breaking news happens before then. But it's Tennessee. It's 2020. You never know. See ya. New CBS Sunday. 
You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.